Larisinta. Welcome to the Recording Drums podcast. Uh, I was at number 83 on uh, Apple Music Podcasts this week, which is pretty cool, I think. Um, I don't really care, but they send me a, a thing in the email, and uh, it went way up. So thank you, guys. Uh, thank you all. I, I shouldn't say guys. Thank you to whoever's listening. And uh, keep spreading the word. Um, it's, uh, you know, I've said this before, but the whole thing I'm doing this is just trying to spread information, you know. There's no monetary kickback for, the, for me, but it's, you know, the thing for me is just talking to people, learning things. And um, transition to Mike Dawson this week. Mike, uh, many of you may know him from being at Modern Drummer Magazine for a very long time. And now he works for a company called Drum Factory Direct. And Mike is king of reviewing gear. He's doing amazing things by reviewing gear through video. And he records. And if you don't know Mike through Instagram or YouTube or anything, um, he comes up with incredibly cool sounds. And because he's reviewing a lot of stuff, he's using different gear constantly. So cymbals, drums, you know, types of wood, um, microphones too. Um, so we get into all that stuff. Uh, he has a really unique insight into all this stuff from being able to go through so much gear and, um, you know, not being personally held onto it, but really just trying to get a, an objective opinion on uh, what works for certain situations and what doesn't. So don't sleep on this one. This one's, you know, Mike and I, we get right into it. Um, and he just treated his room uh with this place called audio mute which looks really interesting to me it's it's kind of intriguing uh and his room looks beautiful um yeah mike dawson doing awesome things happy independence day if we can call it that these days courses are for sale i think i'm gonna put them up for sale this week so check it out big sale holiday weekend sale because that's what you do um, lots of courses for sale. I'm gonna, uh, also I'm gonna have my class beginning in the fall. I'm looking at early September. If you are interested in my six-week recording class, please go to my website. You can get all the information. Um, it's under DRX, Drum Recording Expert. Uh, it's a six-week class, two hours a week, uh, through Zoom, from your home studio, um, I've done it once before. I, I feel like it was very successful. Uh, yep, you can ask personal questions about your studio. I'm gonna go from, you know, uh, drums and cymbals to uh, minimal miking to complex miking to through EQ and compression, through the business side of things and how I run my whole world over here. So if you're interested in that, uh, you can get on my mailing list or my waiting list and uh, Spread the word about that, please, to friends also. Um, uh, the class is going to be limited to a maximum of, of 20 people on Zoom because I, I don't want it too big. Um, I want it to be personal. And I've also added a payment plan, so that may be helpful to some people, payment plan on this one. So coming into September, I don't have an exact date, but early September, Drum Recording Expert is coming back. All right, let's get to Mike Dawson. It's brand new, you said? Yeah, when did I get this done? It was in May, I think. Audimute came in and and treated the room for me. Wow. <clears throat> yeah, it's been super nice. There's like no room sound. It's just nothing, which is cool. And I see you're standing. Are you standing? 
Yeah, standing desk. Man, I have I a standing desk. I kind of want that. I'm like, I'm kind of ready for that. I don't know if that's <laughs> going to happen, but. <laughs> I haven't sat down for work in, since I moved here. Oh, wow. It's been a year and a half. So I only sit down for like meals and when I'm playing the drums. And you dig it? Yeah, I mean, I had to get one of these these mats so my, my feet wouldn't get burned out. But yeah, I you know, I have like nagging back pain. So if I sit down for more than... 15 minutes not at the drums it, it bothers me right so this helps yeah. and plus I, have, I just feel like i can be mobile i don't need a chair in here or anything yeah that's cool i have one of these uh exercise ball things that i sit on Ooh, interesting it's really cool except if i'm not really great about my posture after a while up here if i if i do slouch it starts to kill me up here man after if what's I'm that supposed okay. to do help your lower back just supposed to like make you sit up uh-huh yeah and for, like like a handful of years ago before i got this i'd be working and i'd be like <laughs> and i was like okay i gotta do something that keeps me like like going you know it's all the heroin interesting you know? it's, it's gotta keep <laughs> we ever tried it on the drums <laughs> I haven't, but that would be an interesting uh, experiment. I don't know if you could. Can you lift your feet up while you're sitting on that? I think I'd fall I mean, over. I think I think you'd have to have some. Your core would be have to be pretty rocking. <laughs> um, well, that's cool. So, well, so tell me about the walls, the audio <clears throat> labs thing. That's really cool. And, and yeah. did, like, give me the whole process. Did you decide on the material, like the sound that you were going for, or like how does that work? Oh wait. Let's talk about this Expos hat because that's a dope hat. Yeah, man. And my son's little league team this year was the Expos. So no way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How do they get an Expos team in little league? That's a throwback. Goodness. Yeah. Well, I think you can pick any MLB team, and you know, past or present. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm an old school. I mean, I guess not super old school, but Andre Dawson yeah. and Tim Raines were my favorite players, and then. Gary a little Carter? bit later, Originally Gary Carter. Gary. Yep. yep. A little bit later, Delino the Shields. I was a leadoff hitter in Little League, so Tim Raines was my my idol. There you go. Right on. Yeah. All right. So anyway, Audimute is the company, <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> drums in Little League baseball. Here's, it's very unique. <laughs> yeah. I uh, I have met Mitch as the owner, and he kind of runs the show there. He he did Carter McLean's space. Oh yeah. So I met him through Carter, and okay. I said, you know, I moved into this house. Like, I got this office. And it was just, it's a 12-foot box, you know. Okay. So the drum sounded, like, horrendous. Okay. And I had one of those clear sonic ISO booths. Uh-huh. Which was great for isolation, but it just took up so much awkward space in the room. Right. I couldn't really film anything. I could, Probably it just not was, that fun, yeah. It's not that fun. It was cool because I could play, like, all hours of the day at night because no one could hear anything and this right. is probably about 50 60 percent reduction okay so not quite as soundproof but so anyway i reached out to mitch it's like i got this space let's design something um and i told him my budget and they had the material from a previous studio that didn't get built out he's like we have this blue stuff they call it blue haze i think okay so and i was like i absolutely love it because i wanted it to look kind of like a like a Van Gogh or something anyway. Yeah. And so they just designed it up, sent me some options. I picked one, and they came over and installed it in a day. 
That was it. In a day? Yeah, like five hours of work, really. Whoa. It's like one and a half inch thick. He says they make it out of recycled paper. Okay. So it's one and a half inch thick, like fake wood planks with that. What looks like wood is actually a printed uh, fabric. So, the, so it's super light and you just put it up with a okay. brad nailer and no big deal. So I'm, and I'm just doing off this off Instagram. So Carter's studio where it looks like wood, it's not actual wood. It's the same exact stuff. This, this, uh, no Kusta kidding. wood is what they call it. No kidding. Yep. Wow. And they did the ceiling too? Because the ceiling looks dope. Yep. He put some, uh, I can go like this. He put some polygons above the drums and then behind my computer here. Oh, wow. So it's not like dead. It doesn't feel like a vacuum, but mm -hmm. there's no, there's just no reflections. Yeah. Which is and, crazy. Okay. So, so you went from the uh, little ISO booth thing to that and like what what did that do for your like was it like a learning curve or was it immediate like oh now i now i have options you know sonically yeah the the iso booth was as expected had a lot of low end build up and stuff yeah. it kind of felt like you were in a closet right um so i just kind of dealt with it i didn't really I just kind of dealed with it, you know, just let it be what it was. I wasn't trying to track in there. It was just for teaching okay. and practice and stuff. But when I got this, all of a sudden, like, I could hear all the bad tuning decisions I'd made. <laughs> it was really, especially on toms. Okay. Because there's no, there's no I'm reverb to, it. yeah, it's like, whoa, there's something wonky going on there. Okay. So a lot of experimenting with tuning um, and just, you know, because I want I, the drums can kind of overwhelm the small room still. Okay. So different tuning techniques with the bottom heads maybe a lot tighter than I normally would, just to shorten that sustain. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the first you know because the morning that they they came over, I played um, I played a Roy Haynes solo that I from memory in the empty room, yeah, and then at okay. the end of the day I played the exact same thing without changing the drums at all. And it was like, whoa, those drums don't sound, that sounds like a totally different drum set. Wow. It was really wild. So tuning this has been the biggest thing. And I just, this past week, I've been changing snare drum heads and uh -huh. I've probably done like 20 drums of just, what does this drum want to do in this room? Oh, Where wow. should it be? Which so, has been fun. And they did the floor too? No, the floor is just a, just a laminate. I mean, I've got a rug down. Right. Okay. Oh, cool. So the floor is pretty pretty live, and the ceiling's not completely treated. You can see it's yeah like half. But, but that helps. So I'm sure with a ton a low ceiling, just kind of. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I'm not noticing any flutter or anything like that. It, it's really nice looking, which is like aesthetically, as you were kind of saying, like that's it's really nice. Yeah, I mean, I could have. I was originally when I first reached out to him because you can see it over here. These are what they call acoustic sheets. That's just covering a big window. Okay. So I originally contacted him. I was like, I want to buy a bunch of these acoustic sheets and just cover all the walls. He's like, nah, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, let us design well, something for you. Right. <laughs> well, the thing is, you know, part of it is like we spend so much time in these places. Like one of the reasons I have like daylight here is because I, you know, I know how much time I spend in here. And if I yeah. have that, it's a bummer for me, you know. Yeah, I didn't want to cover the window, but 
filming so many videos in here, I, I it was just, I couldn't, um, it was too iffy if I was going to get blown out light or not. Because right. I wasn't worried about the sound, because over here it's just a courtyard that goes to okay. nowhere. Okay, okay. But, you know, I was like, yeah, I want the natural light so I can use that for filming, not have to have so many lights in here, but right. it was just too inconsistent. So I had to cover it up, unfortunately, because there's a big, it was nice and bright yeah. <laughs> but not anymore yeah you just adjust throughout the day or whatever yeah putting up a black curtain that i had to pull back and forth when i was interviewing people right so these can come down but they're they're i think i'm as permanent they're like heavy they're probably half inch thick but heavy like it was it was hard for me to hang them oh wow huh. so it blocks pretty much everything huh that's really interesting man you know, I, yeah. know I, I know my rooms like really well at this point, but the idea of that to me is really interesting because I know it could sound better, even though mm -hmm. I kind of like know what to do in there. But, you know, it's, it's making me think. Yeah, well, the idea I went, did this office first because I work in here and I do all my podcasting and practicing in here and I needed a space to practice. But the main room is on the other side of that wall and it's you know three times as big. Uh -huh. So I was like, all right, let me let me wait a year or so to, before I commit to to treating that room properly because it's it's a long corridor and it's you know it it can sound like Steve Albini real fast like it's hard for me to control it in a lot of ways. That's good, which is cool, but <laughs> yeah. not everybody wants their the room to be slapping back like that. Right, right, <laughs> right. Um, so. Uh, there's a couple things like with you in particular. So you've, you know, because you're a man on drummer so long and doing gear demos and things, you've gone through so many drums and cymbals and things like mm. that. And you, you obviously know things really well. And I'm curious, I mean, you do have such a deep, because of that, you have such a deep knowledge of, you know, probably different woods, different metals, mm -hmm. different cymbals. I, it's, I mean, I can't, I, it's got to be like mind boggling. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I figure I did three or four reviews every month for 17 years. So yeah. Do the math. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I want to explore that. I'm not really sure how to explore that in a certain way, but like, like to me, that's fast. Like, are there things that you, well, let me, let me ask you this. Are there things that you knew? Wait, I'm going to step back even farther. Okay. So at first you were writing, like pre-YouTube, pre-whatever, mm -hmm. right? You were just writing about these things. Yep. So you had to, like, figure out how to put, like, what you were hearing into words, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, my strategy was to think of musical context. Like, okay. what is this drum designed to do? What type of player? What... Okay. price point what is that you know what are the expectations on pricing <clears throat> and then what are they kind of saying it should do and then i would mm. reference recordings of of that style or whatever players that that play that way or who might actually use this drum see how they were using it okay so i tried to be as um real world sub is that subjective or objective objective as possible with uh -huh. each piece so then I could kind of evaluate it in that way. If it's supposed to be for rock and roll, then I know there's a certain volume thing and a, and a power and a presence. But if it's, you know, so that was my 
at my how, my crash course on how to learn how to do this because I wasn't trained to do it. I just right. was like, hey, you're taking over all the reviews. Cool. <laughs> I was hired to be the education guy, but all right, cool. Right. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. So it was just a lot of listening and researching, you know, checking out what other reviews were out there on that product and oh wow certain things i might be like well i don't i don't think because i could see the press release for a drum or symbol and i could see what other writers had basically just either copy and pasted or mm. slightly rewritten interesting it's like you didn't really uh -huh. test this all the way so i made a point like all right if, if they're saying it can do this and other people haven't taken it to the next level i'm going to see can i push it okay beyond just the it's supposed to be bright or whatever like what is it supposed to do so and then i try to always take stuff on gigs at the time right because <clears throat> in the practice room and on, on stage is 200 percent different experiences with almost everything yep so i just tried to be as thorough as possible and then eventually i got to a point after many years of like i can almost tell right away what something is if it's doing what it's supposed to do just by like hitting it a few times yeah just how easy does it work does it you know <clears throat> just what are my hands and ears and body telling me from five minutes with it interesting i would still test it for, you know for a week or so but huh. it got to be pretty quick like oh this i could tell like a cheap plywood versus a good quality plywood okay. pretty quickly which is kind of strange and how about the consistency between like let's say types of wood like mahogany kits consistency versus maple or you know whatever you know what i mean did you start to yeah. hear that like immediately like yeah not immediately but you know what i mean <clears throat> yeah i mean the biggest thing was learning that birch is just a category you know maple is just a category mahogany is a category so brazilian mahogany and african mahogany are not the same wood uh mm. yellow birch and red birch they're they're not the same wood so the cheaper stuff gets in the cheaper drums and okay. you can feel it and you can hear it right away mahogany is definitely the big one philippine mahogany is is just luan essentially oh wow so anything that's anything as cheap as made with mahogany it's really just luan which can be cool but it's not going to be the big dark fluffy sound of african or brazilian mahogany oh wow so if you got something from <clears throat> let's say a credible drum company and they were like it's filipino mahogany you already knew that it was kind of going to be a piece of crap yeah it's gonna it's cabinet wood basically it's cheap cabinet wood oh, <laughs> <man>. <laughs> yeah it's interesting okay and, yeah and you can hear it you know it just right. sounds thin it sounds weak <clears throat> which could be cool i mean i mean everything has a thing cool. Which is, you know, we'll get to there, right? But right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I had to, like crash course on species. That was the big thing. Like again, no, no fault to these companies. They're trying to market this stuff to be as good as possible, and they're not going to tell you that this is just Home Depot plywood. Right. <laughs> you know, We're not outing anybody here. <laughs> <laughs> but now, now everybody has some extra insight to like. Uh, yeah, and then like steam bent versus stay versus block shells versus ply thin plywood shells versus yeah. thicker plywood shells okay. and then the quality of the glue all that stuff starts to add up to where like, you can you can see it you can feel it <clears throat> you can hear it but for me it was more like you can you can feel the vibrations more more or less 
okay. the better quality of the drum, I could feel I was like sitting inside the sound versus right. a cheaper drum. It felt like it was just kind of dispersed everywhere, right? You know, right away. And it's like, yeah, I'm just not getting the, the visceral excitement from this thing. And then did, did that mean that like, were you ever surprised recording something that you were like, oh, this sounds like crap to or it feels like crap, sounds like crap to me, but you put a mic on it and you're like, ah, it's pretty good. Yeah. Or and the opposite too. Cool. Yeah. The opposite too. So yeah, the stuff that like Oak to me, uh -huh. um, doesn't feel good to play. Okay. It just doesn't. It's very hard, right? Oak is very hard. Wood. It's, it's hard and it, it just, again, it like, it shoots out away right. in my experience. So you feel like, to me, I feel like I'm, everyone else is getting the sound and I'm not getting it back. Ah, interesting, right. So it's not my favorite to play, but it records amazing and it's it's great on stage. It's unbelievable on stage. So that's even, one that I don't I'm even know surprised. who makes an Oak drum kit. The Yamaha uh, Live Custom is Oak. Okay. Um, there's been Yamaha probably the most prominent for, for Oak. Okay. okay. And then the opposite, like some really <clears throat> high quality, multi-thousand dollar kits that kind of like feel awesome to play. And I'd put mics on it. I was like, man, these mics don't know what to do with all this information. <laughs> it's just too much, too much sound. <laughs> uh -huh. Especially like steam bent kits, things that are just real, real beefy. I've found the mics are just like, I don't know what to do with all this. It's just too much information. So maybe they're great in kind of unamplified uh, situations. Yeah, or minimal mics or something yeah. like that. But yeah. a close mic, it's just like too much. Or the room. Like my old studio right. was a small basement. And right. I take these these solid shell kits in there. And it just like I could feel the walls were like, I don't know what to do with all this sound. <laughs> <laughs> it's just too much. Wow, that's really cool, man. That's a super unique perspective. Wow. Um, what what are your personal favorite types of of wood? I mean, obviously it's going to be for different situations. But... <clears throat> um, yeah, it's a good question. I have um, I just got a maple gum kit made by Bucks County. Okay, and you know he's been experimenting with different combinations of species forever. And so when when I got that, I was like, dude, that's that's the sound, man. Yeah, like you can't. You can't top that. It just becomes variations once you, you know, just different flavors. It's just perfect. I played a maple gum kit from DW for a few months. And it was I had the same thing. I was like, wow, this is this is everything that I want. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's not too much of anything. Yeah. And then um, I have a mahogany poplar that I call like my minor key kit. It's okay. just anything that needs to be moody and dark. It's just right away dialed right in but it doesn't it doesn't project okay so it's not something i would use for hard hitting or touring or anything but okay so yeah mahogany poplar is is all-time fave and then maple gum which that's the ludwig and the gretsch formula so yeah <laughs> you got your two flavors yeah <clears throat> um how about how about with snares like like i'm i've always I've, I, you know, when I was young, I was always like, oh, wood snares, wood snares. And then the more I started to record, I was like, nah. Nine I struggle times with out them. of ten, wood snares don't work for me recording because they just don't. 
uh, you know, it's hard to explain. Like son- it's hard to put sonic things into words sometimes, but they just don't speak. Even a great sounding drum, it just does not speak through layered sounds. I guess. Yeah, that's been my experience too. I think, especially when you talk about plywood versus solid, I will always go for a solid wood drum over a plywood drum, mm-hmm. unless it's like a a, a vintage three ply that I just want to be really wild and crazy, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, I found the same. Like wood drums, feel like they kind of hit like a, like a, like a bazooka. Like you get a, or a laser beam. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and if it's not the right frequencies or not the right combination of frequencies, it's. I found I find it's a little bit anemic. I do like it live for that reason sometimes, mm-hmm. where I feel like it's just kind of punching through and there's nothing, kind of spraying around. But, uh-huh. um, <clears throat> yeah, I'm not a huge fan of plywood, but I do have one right here that. This is a maple drum that I hadn't played in years. Okay. That I found its happy spot, which is a lot higher than I ever would. Okay. So for me, wood drums are good for high tuning. Like they do something like where some of the the metal drums that I love, if I tune them too high, they kind of bite my ear in a way that I don't like. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where I keep them a little bit higher. Unless I'm going for the super low thing. Right. But yeah, metal, I mean, shoot, of all the gigs I've played in the past couple of years, I've probably played an Acrolyte, either five or six and a half, more than anything else. Yeah. They it just, just work. always works. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's hard to argue. Yeah. Sometimes brass is too much sound for me. And then steel is, it's like, well, again, a laser beam. If I'm playing... I wasn't like a hard rock band. Steel was the sound. It just needed yeah. to be a gunshot. It really works like that. Yep, I agree. Yep. And but yeah, give me an aluminum drum, and I'm I'm happy for life most yeah. of the time. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm with you. I have one Acrolyte that I've had for a long time now. I got it for seventy five bucks, and it it's been on tons of stuff. Yeah. How do you tune yours? Um, you know, so it's interesting. I had two at one point, and the one I'm talking about. Um, I sold the other one because this one works anywhere. Mm. And I, I originally liked it because it was when I kind of got into tuning low and I was like, wow, this thing just sounds awesome. But it was still had a focus. Mm. It wasn't like too flabby or whatever. It, you know, it had a nice, nice low bottom, but it wasn't like too poofy, mm. you know? Um, and I played it in a band that I, I played in for a while. Um, that was the main thing. But now I have it a little more mid, mid. you know. Um, I like it super high, too. And the thing I like about aluminum is that it doesn't have, like, the, the nasty high end. Mm-hmm. Know, still slightly uh, – it's not piercing. Right. Yeah, that's usually my problem with, like, brass when you get it really high. It's just yeah. bites in a way. And then, <clears throat> so what about six and a half inch superphonics? I, again, I've been spending the past week tuning all my drums to see what they do in this room. Mm-hmm. Um, that drum for me is the one that wants to go low. <clears throat> um, mine, I do both. John Bonham sound. Yeah, I mean, I just, <laughs> I just think Bonham when I hear that when I when I do that. So I keep mine medium to high with a mm. clear black dot on it. And, oh, right. But, I do like it low, but the thing I think about Superphonics 
six and a half is like there's there's like a um it's almost like a scooped sound mm. to me it's not as girthy so it's very and i think that's why it's so identifiable in recordings you're like oh that's a superphonic like i can just hear it because there's something i mean i hate to talk frequencies not not you know being masterful of them but like somewhere in that low mid it's it's lacking that a little mm. in like and a, you you like, like that cool well for okay. certain things for certain things, I think it's really great, um, but mm -hmm. I also know when it's wrong. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like there's there's with that drum for me, it's a very particular like it's definitely this is definitely the thing for this, and this is or it's definitely not. You know? mm -hmm. So I have like the my Keplinger Steel six and a half. I have the Drum Paradise, the Hewer Hitmaker, which is nickel over brass, I think, or black, right black. Or black, black nickel yeah yeah over brass and then the supra which is also six and a half and those three to me have very separate applications they all tune great in different ways but they have different sounds mm-hmm yeah that's how i think of them interesting my uh <clears throat> my six and a half super is the one that it, i don't get tons of comments on snare drum sounds but that every time i use that that's the first thing they say what is that snare drum? Use it on everything. I'm like, all right. It's one I got out of a dumpster in high school, but right. sure. <laughs> Talking about Instagram? Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, I, I just find that whenever you tune up high on Instagram, people immediately like, oh, that snare is great. It's like, <laughs> I mean, it's almost like you just, you know, okay, we're going to like this. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Drums by themselves versus drums with other people is, is very constantly evolving. I started gigging a lot more <clears throat> the past six months and, Again, my tuning approach is completely different now because it's it's just not the same. Yeah, so I mean, I think you're you're an excellent tuner, you know, from what Thank I you. know of you, and um, that's obviously probably from doing it so much with the reviews, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah, every day. I mean, I I, I yeah. I'm tuning drums every day, and even when I don't have to, it's kind of become just a a, a meditation where I feel like mm. let me just change a drum head and get. You know, oh, I wow. just enjoy it. Really? Because I hate yeah. drum heads. <laughs> well, yeah, well, I got a drill bit from Evans that... <laughs> there you go. That, that changes man, everything. It changes everything. So, yeah, I think years of practice, just like anything else. I mean, I'm sure I've put near 10,000 hours of tuning over the over the time. Because wow. every kit would come in in a box yeah. with no heads on it, and you have to yeah. start from scratch, and then... I try to test every kit at least at high, medium, and low with Ooh. different combinations of, you know, both heads the same or bottom head a little bit higher. So, okay. And always retest, rechecking every time I would make an adjustment so it wouldn't be out of tune. So, yeah, it was just pretty. I mean, some days I would spend all day just tuning drums for work. Wow. <laughs> you know, that was my wow. job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it got to be pretty quick. Um, <clears throat> Uh, I lost. Well, first of all, like my main, my actually, my head is like, can I see that drill bit? Like I want, because oh. <laughs> you're making me think. It's right here, man. Wow. A... So you just keep it loaded up, the battery, and like you just. Yeah, it's just the Evans drill bit. Okay. And this sucker, <clears throat> I'm going to tell you what I've been doing recently. This is a. 
Who makes this thing? Black and Decker. Okay. Lithium. Okay. 20 max volts. So I set it on one, which okay. is the lowest setting. Yep. I mean, I get it. I get the head on finger tight, and then I just go around gradually until, because when this thing hits a certain tension, it won't tighten anymore at that level. And I found the the the, the bit it, <clears throat> the bit will just stop. You, you'll hear it, it. It knows. Yeah, you can hear it. Like it just won't go anymore. And oh. I found this has been a recent experiment. I would not recommend this to anyone who's not <laughs> very experienced at tuning drums. Rental caution, right here. <laughs> <laughs> I found that that setting on this particular drill is the perfect high tuning. For every drum and it's different like a six lug drum it's going to be way lower than a 10 lug drum but it, it's put every time i've done it it's put that drum in its max perfect high tension so then i just i don't even have to fine tune it usually <laughs> I mean, that's some nerdy <laughs> shit i love it <laughs> so then when I'm, I'm messing with it in here i just slowly back it down until i find that sweet spot where the drum opens up there it is I mean, it's changed everything. I'm not using the TuneBot as much anymore. Occasionally, just to reference where I, where okay. I like it to remember. That was my next I... question. Are you mainly an ear <clears throat> ear person or uh, ear feel feels a big thing uh -huh. these days? I can kind of feel in the tension rods where it's where it's happy. Okay. Um, and I always use the TuneBot as a reference, mainly when I get a drum where I like it. Okay. Like where is it sitting, and then I just write it on the head or mark it to remember. Okay. But yeah, I've gone through the whole using chromatic tuners and all that stuff. Drum dials. Okay. They all work. <clears throat> but I'm I'm you know, I guess the older you get, the more you realize it's just respond to what the drum's giving you. <laughs> Does it sound good or not? Yeah. Take it up or down and and adjust. Okay. Yeah, I'm a little bit of a I don't know, purist, I guess. I don't know. I mean I just Tune by ear. Yeah, I mean, uh, technology is great, but I'm, you know, when people are like, "Oh, what's your, what are your TuneBot settings for that thing?" I'm like, "Dude, I've never used one." <laughs> not, yeah, I mean, not my it's... thing. You know what I mean? Like, I, 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 I like, you know, my experience, you know, just traveling and having to get my sound on different drums is like, it's just all feel, yeah, feel and sound, and I just have a process, you know. Um, yeah, I can it's see helped it, though, me in your situation though, where you're dealing well not only every day, but different pieces of gear that you're totally unfamiliar with, and you got to you got to get to the point. Yeah, it also allows me to say I tune these drums exactly the same, so I know, right. you know, where does this brand's 12-inch tom choke out versus this brand's 12-inch tom choke out? Where, you know, where does this this shell type open up? You know, I can. And I can say I'm very, like, we just did a, a test here for Drum Factory Direct where we got all of the snare wires, like 30 or some different versions. Wow. <clears throat> so we built out two identical snare drums, like two steel drums with the exact same hoops and same throw off and everything. And then I had to make sure they were tuned exactly the same. So there are no variables other than we just started swapping wires. And I'd use two drums so I could do it quicker. I could do two at a time and, and change them out. Okay. So, I mean, for, for that, it was I needed to do that. I needed to have down to the frequency, down to the tenth of a frequency accuracy, just so I wasn't hearing that it sounded more responsive because maybe the bottom head was tighter or something. 
Right, right. Interesting. So yeah, that's the nerdy level. And the the conclusion with that whole test was you can barely tell the difference. <laughs> See, that's good to know. Because <laughs> I've never been a huge like, oh, what snare wires do you use? I don't know. I mean, uh, the, I, I believe like a 48 strand is definitely different than a... I don't even know, 22 or whatever. Yeah. I mean, if you, yeah, if you go down to 12 or 16, yes, you're going to hear a difference. If you go up to 40, you're, you're going to hear a difference. But anything in that middle, 20, 24, different materials, different end clips, different spacings. If it's just okay, a snappy never- wire, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of the same. <clears throat> how, about, how about bottom head tuning? Because that's always... For me, it's not a mystery. I just crank it on every drum. It's just, that's my conclusion. <laughs> like, you just crank it no matter what the tuning. Do you have more particular insight than that? I, you know, I ask everyone, I probably asked you that question too about the bottom head, because that's the one I ask everybody. And so yeah, we've, we've probably talked about that. <clears throat> right, yeah. And I remember seeing Vinny play. It was on the, um, Who? the buddy, Vinny, <laughs> you know, Vinny, Vincent. <laughs> oh, Vincent, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He played when he played on that uh, Buddy Rich concert with that that brass piccolo. Yes, you could see his bottom head was really loose. It was like going crazy. Oh, I've never noticed that. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, every time he hits it, unless he's just. I just love those ebony heads on those recording customs, man. <laughs> like I like there's something Sounds about so that. Good. Now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, his bottom head was really flexing. So for a while there, I was like, well, how low can I take a bottom head on the snare, and what does that give me? So. And I did that for a long time, and 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 Sean Pelton tunes his bottom head a lot lower than than almost everyone. So when I was at his studio, that was one of the first studio interviews I did. Okay. At his place in New York. Right. I was like, all right, I've got to I've got to mess with that. So I did that for a long time, just experimenting with how low can you take it. And I'm back to where you are. It's it's always up to not as high as I used to. F sharp is the note that I go for below a440 ah, all right <laughs> it used to be g and now it's down to f sharp because and why? then um <laughs> it, what's the, why you know because some drums i couldn't get it, the g to come out comfortably okay it was like it was taking it just beyond where the drum felt like it could go okay um and actually kenny sherritts was the one who told me to to not go so high He's like, yeah, you're you're losing something from the shell when you go that high, um, and I noticed it. So it's a, you know it's F sharp. It's still it's still high. I mean, yeah. <clears throat> I think this is an F sharp. Okay. It's still up there. Yeah. But the thing I'm doing now, again, all this stuff is is just me constantly nerding out because I have the yeah. space and the time to do it. Yeah. Is when I get the the head on fresh, and I might go up like two and a half whole turns or something to get it kind of in the ballpark when i check the the pitch if it's below where it needs to be below the f sharp i don't tighten the ones by the wires i only tighten the ones away from the wires so i leave the ones by the wires a little bit looser than the rest okay. yeah that's <clears throat> heard that. and that just seems to keep yeah. the wires from you know kind of rattling a little bit extra okay but you know, again, that's all. Just is that like a half step or anything, or is that? It's probably probably a half step. Okay. Yeah, I'm only like this is a this is a ten lugger, so I won't touch these four, and I'll start with here and just okay. make adjustments to those. Okay. 
if it needs to go like drastically higher, then I'll go back and hit right. those four by the wires. But so okay, so <clears throat> and so we're talking a lot about feel and things like that. Do you do you ever notice in a recording, or is this really more about acoustically in a room? Bottom head. I mean, yeah. <laughs> um. No, it's more of like. I never. Yeah, I've noticed that when I was tuning it lower, I definitely noticed like a a, a wider, like not more rattle, but just a wider sound, maybe more complex sound. Hmm. I think if you think of like what Sean Pelton sounds like, that's his snare drum sound distinctly because his bottom head is lower than than most. He sounds all right. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, for me, it's more like, what's the drum giving back to me? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so, okay. So at some point you, you moved into like, you know, video world and, and demoing this yeah. video and, you know, you, it seems to me like you probably change your recording configuration con constantly. Mm. Um, yeah. One, how did you, you know, did you just dive in because of reviews and start? figuring out the engineering thing on your own and well let's start with that uh yeah not i mean I, I took recording courses in college and i always was the one who wanted to have the studio for the band you know i was the first one with the four track tape machine and the first one with um cubase on a on a eight gigabyte dell computer you know <laughs> did a whole record with uh <clears throat> i was using the four track as the mixer and we were recording into the eighth inch input on the back of the Dell. We did a whole record that way. Wow. Yeah, having to restart like every 10 minutes because the computer was choking up. That's awesome. How does it sound now? Have you heard it recently? It's not bad. I mean, it's not bad. I didn't know anything about EQ, so everything is just like wolfy to hell. But <laughs> kind of cool. We were just happy to get it into the computer and hear our songs back. Yeah, okay. Um, and plus, the computer couldn't handle any kind of plugins. The moment I put a reverb or something on, it was like, nope, yeah, this is right. going to crash. Right. <laughs> right. That was an eight gigabyte computer. That's awesome. I don't know what the RAM was, probably like 250 megs or something. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It's amazing. So I was always into it. Anything. It's amazing you were able to get a whole song into that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there were days when it was like we spend six hours just getting a guitar track because it would just you know shit the bed on us every five minutes oh <laughs> but you know <laughs> it was in my early 20s what else are you going to do <laughs> that's the learning that's the learning time that's awesome yeah so i was always into it but yeah it was when <clears throat> modern drummer went very quickly Sorry, that drum is buzzing drop me nuts went very quickly from let's do audio to add to the website to video like maybe within a year it was like you know, I was putting MP3s up versus get a GoPro and put a put a video of the thing up. So I had to crash course. Luckily, hey, most of the interviews I was doing at that time were based on studio drumming. So I was, again, I was at Pelton's place. He showed me how to use Ableton Live. He showed me about Drumagog and in uh, 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 what is it BFD. First time I'd ever seen any of that stuff. He, he showed me all of his his tricks of just engineering in a small room. Okay. And then that you know that was how I 
did a lot of interviews like what are you doing how are you doing this because that was 2004 yeah there weren't a whole lot of home studios at that time yeah and he yeah i know <clears throat> gotta talk to sean because like that dude the fact that he was on it it's funny this came up last week i was talking to rich redmond and sean felton came up so but yeah he I was think on. a lot of people have known that he's had that apartment with that other rooms for like forever yeah yeah i mean I think it was 2003 or something when he built it. Yeah. And then I went to Aaron Comus's place. So I was checking out all the New York spots. Um, um, uh, shoot, I'm forgetting his name. Sterling Campbell. He had a spot in, in the music did, really? building. Yep. Okay. So I was just, you know, all these these guys in New York are having to deal with this insane setups mm -hmm. and getting incredible recordings. So I was just visiting all of them. What are you doing? What are you using? How's this? So I learned real quick um, that it didn't take a pro space <laughs> to get good sounds. Yeah. And then it was just a matter of just experimenting like crazy every day, hating everything I heard, and then trying too many mics, <laughs> you know, 16 mics to get a snare drum recording. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so then how about just one overhead of kick drum and maybe a room mic for that for right. that demo? Right. So it was just a crash course. The hardest part for me was learning video, honestly. Yeah. And I'm still still trying to figure it out. It's, video it's a mystery. Video is a bit of a drag, but yeah. <laughs> it's very complicated. If it, I mean, it can be complicated. Yeah. Um, so how do you go about, um, like, when you're going to demo something, how do you decide on, let's say, the number of mics? You kind of just said that, but... Um, you know, is it is it simply like, oh, this is a jazz kit. I'm going to use three mics, or like, <clears throat> usually, or is it? And you, and you write stuff too, right? Like you do, you make little cool pieces of music and all these things. Is it, is it <clears throat> on that, or how? Are, what's your thought process on all that stuff? Yeah, I mean, let's just say, for instance, Gretsch sent me their micro kit. Okay. <clears throat> and I knew that Juliana was their their guy for that kit at the time when it first came out. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, started listening to a lot of Mark's stuff and how's he tuning this kit and what what's the the style that he's playing on this kit. Mm -hmm. So then I would program some kind of sequence or something that was in that world and I would tune it up that way. And then miking wise, it was usually a kit like that. How few mics can I get away with because that's the vibe. Like this is supposed to sound like a drum set in the room. Mm -hmm. So it was usually like mono overhead kick drum maybe the the crotch mic or something to kind of fill it out from the inside okay. and that would be it and then i would also try it with all the bikes up just to see what else it would do and tune it like super low and see what it would do okay <clears throat> um so it was usually the first setup was what what's the kit supposed to do and then let me put it in that world like if if yamaha sent me the recording custom kit i'm putting all 16 channels up like we're gonna see how much detail can we get out of this kit? Okay. In a snare drum review, I would do three mics on the snare. Always. Because I feel like if you only do an overhead for a snare demo, they all sound the same in a lot of ways. Because you're not really capturing all the, the nuance that the shell is doing. Not that you would ever use that in a mix, but I think for a demo, it's like, this thing's got a lot of overtones and you should hear that. Yeah. And not try to like tweak it out or muffle it out. Like this is right. what this shell is doing. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, I would, I would actually argue for a mono overhead over a close snare mic if you were just going to do one. You know, mm. right? Just because usually the close snare mic just kind of sounds like dog crap until you put other things into it. Hey, yeah. <laughs> Gosh, it man. It sounds yeah. weird. I don't know. That's how I think about it. It's like, well, <clears throat> this is if you put your ear on the snare. <laughs> no one's going to do, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, would, I, I don't know if I was clear. I would always have overheads. There'd always be kick and overheads. And then where do I fill it out? You know, snare okay. drum demo, I would do two on top, one on bottom, sometimes one on top, one on the side, one on the okay. bottom. I see. <clears throat> and then just mix it so it just feels like what I'm hearing in the room. I used to get a lot of flack for like, man, your demos of snares are so ringy. I'm like, I'm not trying to make a record here. I'm trying to show you what this drum does, and then you can work with it from there. Right, right. Because anyone can dent any snare drum. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Again, two moon gels and every yeah, drum yeah. sounds the same. Like, yeah. what are we? What are you trying to do here? Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm giving you, I'm showing you all the potential problems you're gonna have with this drum. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Anyone can throw the BFD, you know. Yeah, exactly. Like BFD, BFD, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I would, and snare drums especially, I would, I would tune it up as high as I think it could go naturally, mm -hmm. and then I would do like eighth turn detunes and play the same beat. Eighth turn detune, play the same beat, so you would hear it going through all the sweet spots or all the sour spots, and then. Maybe it sounds great everywhere. Maybe it just sounds like crap until you get down to the low, or it only sounds good high. That, that to me is how I evaluate the drum. It's like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna not include that funky overtone, because it's important to hear right. that. Don't tune this drum here. It doesn't right. like it. <laughs> right, and and it's like, uh, you know, that could be a good thing. That could be the thing that someone's looking for. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I tried to make the drums sound as good as possible without glossing over anything. That's always been my approach. So how much do you feel like, especially in reviews, you, you, you're free to EQ? That's a good question. My strategy, which is, is changing the better I get at engineering and the better my gear has gotten and the better the room has gotten where it requires less, but <clears throat> I try to just remove the microphone. Like, that's my objective. If the microphone has a lot of mid-range, I'm going to remove some of that. Like, just trying to get it back to zero. I don't want the mic, the color of the mic to affect the the outcome. That's all been my strategy. Which usually means removing some low mids to get rid of proximity effect and all that kind of stuff that just doesn't sound real. Right. And maybe adding some high end to a dynamic mic. How much how much of your mic choices going into particular kit or the or again the, you know are you are you getting as detailed with microphones at this point or are you trying I to did I did yeah yeah because I was reviewing a lot of mics too so I was like why don't I just go ahead and do a bunch of shootouts like what's the best kick drum inside mic what's the best kick drum outside uh, mic what what's your favorite kick in the combination that that makes a lot of people cringe but it it's perfect is that sure um the uh the uh, boundary mic the beta 91a uh -huh. inside with the um akg d uh d12vr on the outside is that a newer one d12 it's like the it's it looks like the old one but it's right. it's just a new mic that combination 
beat out everything I tried. Now, there's other things. Like, if I'm only going to use one mic, the um, <clears throat> the SEV kick. I've heard that's great. Yeah. It just, if one mic inside the drum, it, it kind of gives me everything I need. Okay. But that combination of that, that Shure and the AKG, it, it of all of, I compared them all. It just won. It just wins. I know that's more like a live mic for people, but it just works. I mean, I, you know, people always ask me about these biodynamic clip on mics that I use on my toms. And I'm like, well, I've definitely tried a handful of mics, but the thing that like it, it, it allows me to not have mic stands on the floor, you know, my mm. room is very small and man, the amount of mental, uh, like, you know, like not having two extra mic stands that are just taking up more space like that. And they sound, they sound as good as most other mics. Some and yeah, I'm exactly. Just, I'm just going with it. You know, I know it. I own no. I know it doesn't look cool. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't look cool. You know, it's a, it's kind of a curious choice, but man, it freaking works. And like again, I I feel like if the drum sounds great, if if the mic's not killing it, then yeah, yeah, it's not fighting it. You know? <clears throat> I've been double micing my toms lately, which I thought was a bunch of bullshit until I did it. I got some. Um, custom uh i don't know what the company is what they do it might be monster cables mm -hmm. so they're just on one one oh, xlr dumped. yeah <clears throat> and that has just been it's been a game changer especially with floor toms floor toms drive me nuts because they're lower and they're further away uh -huh. i have a hard time getting it to feel like it should but that that did it the problem is that lower one picks up a lot of kick drum so i have to be careful about where I put it. I can't put it where I normally would at like the two o'clock position. It's going to so be more of a two side. You know, this was kind of a recent conversation that I had with an engineer at a studio about miking top and bottom, and I was just kind of commenting on like, why? And <laughs> his answer to me, and I'm curious if you find the same thing, was it actually helps reduce, uh, you know, s sustain. Because there is, there can be some phase canceling that happens in a good way, or at least this is the way I understood the conversation. Uh -huh. So it's actually, you know, more sound, except it's more, it's actually more, uh, I guess contained in a certain sense. I don't know. What do you, what do you find? I have to try and test that with, from that perspective. I never thought of it like that. I think of it as the, the, the bottom mic is definitely getting more sound more of the sound mm. so maybe i don't have to crank the gain as much maybe that's the benefit but um i i taught this class for peabody um a recording class and we did it all over online using audio audio movers audio movers whatever yeah. that plugin audio is. movers yep so we were talking about mic tuning and and drum tuning and and Mic choice, so I was like, "Let me let me use your ears." You mic tuning. Mic tuning, yeah. I was like, "Let me use your ears to help me decide if this bottom mic really makes a difference." Okay. So they were having it cranking through their million-dollar monitors and everything. So I did just the top mic, which was the Sennheiser E904, whatever that is, the clip-on. Okay. And then I plugged in a same mic into that cable on the bottom. I really couldn't hear it on my end. But they were like, oh, yeah, absolutely. There's just so much more sound coming out. You mean, you mean only a bottom mic? 
No, both. The combination. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, the top only. They were like, yeah, it sounds great. I put the bottom on there. They're like, oh, yeah, there's just so much more to work with there. So much more low end and, and tone. Okay. 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 <clears throat> so I wouldn't do it if I didn't have those cables, though. There's no way in hell I would be running another line <laughs> for that bottom. Are those, are those the mics you're using at home on the bottom? Um, what am I doing currently? I have the Sennheiser 904s on top, and I have the SEV Beats on the bottom. Similar clip-on dynamic mic. You're making me think. That that cable thing, that's really intriguing to me. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't. I bought them off a friend. I don't know how he got them. So I don't know right. who... Like, I can't find them commercially available. I guess it's easy enough to splice a cable, but I don't know. No one's going to do that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, someone's got to make it because it, it, it just, it's just a bike cable with two, you know, two jacks on it. But you've been looking for it and you can't find it? Yeah. I, I can't find it. I, I think it's a monster cable that that he used, but <clears throat> I, got, I only have two of them, so I can't do it. Are you sure than... he didn't do it? He didn't do it. He said he bought them and then just doesn't use them. So I traded him like some some cheap mics or something for them. Yeah, wow. if anyone can find those, let me know because I Send will them buy to me. some. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's fascinating. Yeah, I, it's it's worth a try if you can get your hands on one of those cables. Because yeah. I I was like, no way am I going to do this. But right. after having all these. You know, engineering students were like, absolutely, we can hear the difference. I'm like, all right. And now I notice it. Not yeah, the one bit. thing that's intriguing to me is like um, almost out of uh, space in my room, I usually keep an 18 inch floor tom, like, a, it's, you know, 13, 16, you know, typically. And then the 18 just sits there. Half the time it's a table, probably three quarters of the time <laughs> it's a table. Um, but just because it's in the corner, like, I think even when it's tuned well, it doesn't quite speak the way I want it to. Um, and I'd be I'd be interested to hear it with a bottom mic on. Mm. Just, you know, for when I do want to use it, which, again, is rare. But to have it sound the way I want it to, you know. 18-inch floor toms, man. I can't. <clears throat> I have two of them, and I can't. I don't think my ears can hear what they're putting out <laughs> it's just too they're, low they're super tricky to me um i did a session about a year ago and ross the drum doctor was on it and it was a, uh, and he tuned it he you know it was his kit and everything and he tuned it and i was like mm. hey it can be done was that in a big room yeah yeah i can't that's, i don't think that's it part of it too smaller. yeah it's part of it too but I've even struggled back in the day when I was using two floor times live. You know, I had a tech, but whenever I would try to tune, because I'm always like, well, maybe it needs to go higher because it doesn't, you know, because I like my stuff low, you know, and I like it almost flabby. Mm. But with that, it's almost like, oh, it's not speaking. And then I come up and I'm like, oh, I don't like it because it feels, <laughs> it feels high, but I want it that thud. So part of it's like a personal feel thing, but... You know, I wonder if sticks stick choice plug comes into play too. Like that's something I learned from Chris McHugh. He uses massive sticks. They're like big two Bs. Okay, and I feel like that's kind of the, one of the secrets to his sound is just a gigantic <laughs> freaking baseball bat of a stick. Yeah. I think like using a five A on an eighteen, you're getting so little 
so little contact on that drum. I don't know. Again, that's something I will be testing for <laughs> for Drum Factory Direct. I mean, there's, uh, well, yeah, there's no there's no doubt that like a thicker stick is going to give you a different sound, especially on cymbals, right? Yeah, right. So presumably, same thing on a drum, right? You would think. Yeah. You know, weight <clears throat> and and weight and you know diameter or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the one time I got to hang with Steve Jordan, <clears throat> he played some drums. In the room we were in hit factory whatever that became in new york and he had his signature drum there 13 six and a half by 13 cranked so high i thought the lugs were going to fly off uh -huh. and he i just asked him some question about that like you know how do you get that's the different sounds out of this one drum and that's what he did he played traditional grip normal way with the with the tip hit off center signature steve jordan sound He's like, yeah, but if I want it to be thicker, you just flip the stick over, match grip, hit dead center. And it was a totally different sound. It, like, transformed when I was thinking about it. Otherwise, if, if he just would have came in and hit the drum, like, yeah, it's a high-tuned snare drum. Right. But when I was thinking about it and he showed me, it was like, oh, there's definitely more beef, even though this drum is cranked so freaking high. <laughs> like, unbelievably high. Yeah. I'll do that sometimes, you know, center back of the stick, you know, especially to me, it's almost like I actually played like a, a jazz gig like a week or two ago. And there was a particular tune where I started doing it almost because that's just the way I picked the stick up or something. But then when I went back to, you know, uh, the normal way, I was like, oh, it's, <laughs> it's not the sound I want anymore. I put it back. You know Interesting. I mean? Because there is a butt I, end, you're I, saying? Yeah. Yeah. So, did did your did you make that decision consciously that that was the sound or it was or? it was unconscious? But once I I went away from it, I was like, no, 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 I I got to go back to it now. Because, Interesting, you know. And I don't know if that's translating out in the house, but to me, for sure. Here's another interesting thought: um, the Buddy Rich video, the same one you're re uh, referencing with mm -hmm. Vinny. Gad plays his sticks backwards when he's playing that show. Mm. Ride symbol two. Right. Right. I've always thought there's something to that, you know? There's something going on there sonically. I've never done the reason that. Reason he's doing that. I mean his sticks are pretty small. Yeah. But go back but, and look. Yeah. He's got them backwards. Interesting. And that I don't know if, so I don't know if that dry. was that day or that particular situation. But, you know? Yeah, 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 it's fascinating. You should ask him sometime <clears throat> if he remembers. <laughs> I bet it was like, hey, this. That one there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this band is so freaking loud. We're in this big ballroom. He probably wasn't getting as much sound as he needed. That would be my guess. That would be my guess, too. <clears throat> I hope yeah. he wouldn't say, oh, I just picked him up wrong <laughs> and went with it. I, I, it's got to be it. It's got to. No, I wouldn't. I don't think with him. There's no way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. Uh. Oh, this. So let's. Talk, so you also like all your like kind of wacky, super creative stuff, pedals, whatever. I mean, you're. You know, you're going kind of beyond. In some things that are pretty cool. What are, What are your favorite? you know 
effects. I guess that's mm. the word I'm looking for. Effects to go for things, things to do just to get, you know, get the creative <clears throat> juices going. Um, it changes often, but <clears throat> usually it's a wave drum or a Nord drum, something that gives me, <clears throat> excuse me, some something that I start with that so I can play live, and it's something that gives me a melodic element and also a rhythmic element to it. Okay. Like I, I don't. I don't get super inspired if it's just strictly a rhythmic loop often. Okay. I need some I guess sort what of... I mean is, sorry, let me back up. I think what I mean is affecting acoustic drums. Oh, affecting maybe, acoustic drums. Maybe drum. I'm off base with you. Maybe I'm, I don't want to steer you in the wrong way. Mm. Like... No, okay. So yeah, acoustic drums, um, usually it's just a combination of reverb and delay that gets me in a mode. Okay. Usually, I'd like all the other. I'm like when I when I first got my studio going back in New Jersey, I found some dude on Craigslist who was selling like two racks of effects processors. Like, okay. it was insane. I had to get I had to like, borrow a friend's truck to to get all the stuff. Okay. And it was everything. It was all every all the stuff that came out in the '90s. All the the. Lexicon, yeah. like all the PS ninety and all that. Yeah, stuff. all the the rolling the the rack mount processors and all that stuff. So, and I didn't spend time learning how to use any of them. It was just <laughs> turn the knob and and make a mess, and okay. then combine different. You know, I had a um, one of the Mackie Onyx mixers that I think it had four auxes, okay. so I was able to you know blend in four different combinations of effects which was super inspiring um distortion i think is fun but it gets real kind of old quickly for me it's almost always some sort of you know like multi-delay and reverb that gets me just i'm a brian eno fanatic so anything that puts me in that world i find i can just i could be more creative on the drums for some reason i don't know why so you like to hear hear it back when when you build something, carve something. You want to go back and play again with the effects going. Yeah, usually it's it's make a mess, go too far, dial it back enough to where I can make some sense out of it. Okay, that was usually my practice back. You know, we're talking several years when when Instagram first started. It was spend a half hour just making a disaster, and then dial it back to where I can perform for 30 seconds and post it. <laughs> you know, like, right. I was just trying to, how far can I take it before it just turns into just mud? Right. And then, you know, just learning, like, what happens when you turn up the feedback on a delay too far? Well, you're going to blow your ears out. Like, that kind of stuff. <laughs> I had to learn the hard way. And distortion, too. Distortion I stay away from because it's just... It just makes me want to play like Beastie Boys beats, and that's it. Like, there's nothing What's wrong with I that. But yes, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whereas, a, like, an interesting delay with some, like a, a like a surreal amount of reverb, mm. it just puts me in a in a mindset of like, sure, don't just play beats. Try to find something else to do on this this weird contraption. Yeah. And that's what turned into like looping the wave drum and sending that through the effects. So then I could just play acoustic drums with no effects over top of that. Right. How much time do you have to like record, record? Uh, and uh, Yeah. How, how much time do you have to record like real songs and, and music because of, because of your, your gig? 
it's not it's not too much i've kind of um even pulled myself out of that that scene a bit okay um because i kind of got like there's some overseas artists that i was working with it's just the process of of building a kit and and trying to decipher what the hell they actually want it to sound like and sending it off and then 48 hours later they're like no this is completely (laughs) wrong and i'm like and it's always like the bro deal you know like this just isn't isn't worth it for me so i only record for like friends anymore okay so it's if i get one song a week i'm happy okay and it's usually i'll spend a sunday afternoon working on a track for somebody okay because it just it became like i kind of loathed turning my computer on for a while there i was like this isn't this isn't good i don't want this to be my existence to where i just don't want to do it more about the process actually because you felt like to get it right well for them first of all for you and then for them it, it was a drag yeah, I mean, I think, hopefully, I don't know how this will change, but just the everything being remote for the past three years and just not being in a room with other musicians, and it just got to be this, like, what the hell am I doing this for? Luckily, I had a few friends who were just constantly outputting stuff, So, and it was like almost everything I did was like 95% where it needed to be first take. So then it was just creatively, what do we want to do to take this? because it was just, you know it's not commercial music it's like Mike Patton like crazy stuff okay um so that was fun it was like cool I'll spend a week on one song because I feel like it's a, a band like we're working towards something but when it was just an artist sending me a song and their, their demo was just really kind of flat it's like oh man I have too many choices to make <laughs> whereas if you yeah. were just in the room right I could play you three or four different things and we could get to it immediately. Yeah. The audio movers thing is pretty huge for that. You know, um, it's, it's obviously another step to get it set up. So you guys are, you know, working at the same time, but you know, that could be an option for you where, yeah. I mean, I'm dealing more with like amateur semi pro level as well. So it's not like my expectations have to be (laughs) yeah well you have you have a crazy amount of knowledge and you want to make the right choice but i can also see it being like it's almost like uh it's almost like michael phelps going to the local pool and like you know (laughs) thinking i'm their best swimmer there it's like yeah yeah you know (laughs) i mean here's a, a question for you like for me I feel like when I'm left to myself, I overthink it and I make too many, too many choices. I have to, I have to make so many decisions about, you know, I'll tune the snare drum to be perfectly with the song, like spend all this time. But then the couple times I've actually been in a real studio we're tracking with a band in the past few years, almost none of that comes into play. It's like, what's the drum sound like? Cool. Let's go with that. Maybe tune it up a little bit or down a little bit. Is that similar for you or is, is it not? I feel like when you're in the room with other people, all that minutia is way less important. Well, okay. I think that's an awesome observation. And this is this is kind of my ever-changing perspective on all that. Um, wow. Yes. The short answer is yes. I agree with you. Hmm. A lot of people, 
I mean, we're so stylized at this point. The fact that, like, drummers doing home recording where you have all your crap and you can make all these choices. When you really think about it, who, who, who besides maybe the engineer is really noticing the difference between all the little changes you're making? You know, sometimes you change a crash cymbal out or a pair of hi-hats, which to me is super important. The hi-hat thing is super important. Most people don't hear it. Mm-hmm. Most songwriters could give a shit. They were about get, getting their song across, or or you know, let alone a singer that's not a songwriter. Mm-hmm. They're you know, and it sounds super insulting, and I don't really mean it that way. But most singers have no idea. You know, they're only worried about how does it feel. Is it is it lighting them up? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I agree. Um, I, I do think it's important, especially in this day and age, especially where you, you, if you're working with an engineer that you work well with. Well, two things. One, that maybe you're new to working with them and, and the knowledge that you bring can be super creative, especially if you can do it quick. You don't have to explain it. But if you can do it creatively fast and no one has to really know, except maybe the engineer. Mm-hmm. Producer doesn't have to know. Uh, artist doesn't have to know. But if they're like, oh, it should be like this, and you go, oh, man, database, database, oh, I know what to do, bam. And they and you play it, and they're like, oh, that's it. Like, mm. all that work that you've done is automatically put into play without you having to say anything. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, you know, the thing that, you know, I'm sure you watched Get Back, the Beatle documentary. Right. To me, that was just mind-blowing how no one really gave a shit about any of that i was just like oh man we are way overthinking everything at this point you know they didn't care it didn't matter yeah uh that's and i and i it kind of that kind of made an impression on me <clears throat> you know yeah I mean? I mean i guess like all the setup and prep beforehand for those guys but maybe <clears throat> maybe not i mean i just did a a session for a, a good friend of mine last week, and she just sent me a rough demo. I was like, just put some drums on this. I knew she wanted big, beefy, dead-sounding drums because uh-huh. that's what she always likes. But I didn't have those set up. I had regular drums set up. Yep. So I just threw the big, fat snare drum on, mm-hmm. and I would I would never do that in a recording situation because I I would rather hear a low-tuned acoustic drum. Right. And I threw like the the tortillas on the toms and just recorded it, and it sounded great. Like, yeah. why do I why do I feel the need to have to swap the whole freaking kit out <laughs> when I can just get it eighty percent where I where it would be otherwise? Right. And it was perfect. It was like fine, cool, one yeah. take, done. I'm not going to overthink this anymore. I can't. Right. I can't do most, it because most people only hear the eighty percent or less. Right. You know. So I think I think there's a fine line of like, you know, uh, you know, you've created a survival, getting super intricate with a lot of things, and that's mm. pretty amazing that it, uh, career career to create, you know, and we can do that in 2022. <laughs> right, <laughs> pretty awesome, you know. And then there's the time where you just gotta go like. 
you know, you got to go knucklehead because that's the right thing. That's the right thing to do. Mm. Oh man, have you ever done this? I just did this last week as well. Um, I won't name the artist or the drummer, but someone I work <laughs> with often. Okay. They worked with a team down in Nashville to do a track, and it came back and it sounded it sounded nice. It sounded it, you could tell that it was one of those sessions where they probably did twenty songs in a day, like didn't have a whole lot of time to mess with the sonics but it sounded good ready to go to mix and master well the artist is like i just i really don't like this snare i don't want to use samples <laughs> can you overdub all the snare hits for me with a deep fat snare so i played the song down one time just hitting all the snare drum notes really? <laughs> and i had to learn they're all thankfully they're only like three fills in the whole song so I just had to transcribe where, right. where does it go away from the backbeat? But yeah, three and a half minutes of just hitting backbeats. That's crazy. It, I've never done that. Never done. I mean, it ended up sounding convincingly accurate. I mean, yeah. thankfully I practice to a metronome every day, but <laughs> that would have been a disaster. And yeah. and I didn't edit or anything. But it was like, why did we do this? Like, it sounded fine, but for some reason he just wasn't hearing it. He wasn't hearing what he wanted to hear. Okay. So I had to do it. It was the first time I've ever done that. It felt so strange. Some someday I will talk to the drummer on the track and be like, you know, I replaced your snare drum, dude. <laughs> your real life trigger. <laughs> yeah. So strange. I felt like I was in like nineteen eighty five or something. Like Yeah. They probably did that back then. Well, they did it that Ringo did it. Like when the tracks got too dense and they couldn't Oh right. Couldn't hear the snare, he would he would go back and do that on certain things. Well, it worked. You know, it only took me three and a half minutes versus like dropping in samples and lining yeah. them all up and everything. So again, wow. I'm not going to question it. It worked. <laughs> wow, man. Man, I think I've gotten more gear information from you than than anybody is. Awesome. Mm. Okay, one more super nerdy question because <clears throat> okay. because give me your favorite overheads. Favorite snare mic. You told, we talked about the kick drive, but give me give me favorite rooms. Okay, favorite can, overhead. Can you too, if you want, yeah. Um, most recently, I've been using that, that Mojave um, tube compressor. Okay. Which one is it? I don't know. I can't remember the model number, but I'm just borrowing it, so I, I'm not going to like get fall in love with it too much, but. That's been a game changer for me as a mono overhead. Um, okay. That's like the, the most high-end microphone I've ever had or used. You said tube compressor. I'm sorry. The tube, the, the Mojave tube condenser. Okay. Okay. Yep. <clears throat> sorry. No, that's um, okay. I just wanted to clarify. Yeah. Mojave tube mic. <laughs> oh, I'm talking. It's the MA200. Okay. Or the 300. One of the two. Okay. Um, that's if I am spending someone else's money. Um, yeah. For me, I, I think it's hard to beat the Shure KSM32s or the 44s. Okay. It's just large diaphragm, all purpose. I would use those for overheads. I would use them for rooms if if that's all I had. Okay. Um, small diaphragm condensers. Um, I really like the um, Aston Starlights. For some reason, they just sound good in my space. Okay. And they have a laser, so you can you can oh, yeah. get your your pointing accurate. Amazing. Okay. <laughs> uh, 
Heavy overheads. What was? What else did you say? Snare drum. Yeah. Um, the SE. What is it? Seventy X seven or something? It's like their um, SE snare mic. I think it's the X seven. That's like their their Beta fifty seven. Hmm. <clears throat> Hundred bucks. Sounds yeah. Sounds really really good, and it's it's a little bit more directional and beefier than a fifty seven. Okay. But. If I have a 57, I am a-okay with that. Yeah. And then I put that side by side with a blue Hummingbird condenser. Okay. Which has like the angleable top, which is cool. Okay. Bottom, it's like whatever, whatever's there. I don't really care. Okay. 57 usually, or sometimes a, a like an MXL, something I'm not afraid to blow up. <clears throat> okay. Um, I don't use. I hate the, the bottom snare mic anymore. So for me, it's just there <laughs> if someone needs it. But right. I, I just hate the sound of it. Um, what else? Would you say rooms? Mm -hmm. I haven't found my my favorite rooms yet. I just got a pair of. I've been on an SE kick. What are the SEs that I got? SE ribbons. The one X one R, which is a cheap. $230 ribbon. Okay. They're doing something cool. Before that, I was using everything in mine is pretty cheap. The Audio Technica. Technica. I, I can just imagine everybody Googling this. <laughs> <laughs> the Audio Technica AT. I think it's 8081 or something like that. Wow. Okay. I have a pair of those. That's Those have been my room mics forever and i think i'll probably go back to them okay and they also sound great as overheads on like a like a bebop kit or something yeah cool um yeah that's it everything else has been hi-hat i still haven't found i mean i have a, one of those 57s that are like angled <laughs> that have like the bent uh, body hi-hat mics i've struggled with 57 if i need it um to me, I those are a lot about vibe. I don't change it a lot, but like SM7 is always great. Mm. M160 is great. Uh, 451 is great. 451? Is that what I'm thinking of? Yes. Yeah, 451. Yeah. Yeah. They. I mean, to me, they all work, but they're different. They're different vibes, but I always feel like it's the high. It's like as long as I have the right hi hats up, the mic is fine. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I never. I've yet to find one that I'm like, yeah, that sounds amazing. It's just kind of like, okay, that's that's a little annoying, but that'll work. I have, <laughs> Mike also is like, you know, a a, may, a maybe, a big maybe in the mix. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And what else? I got a set of a uh, set of the Earthworks that I've been messing with is spaced pair. I usually never use a spaced pair, but those the phasing seems to be a lot easier to deal with with those. Okay. I almost never use a space pair, but once I got those up, I was like, okay, I can, I can deal with this. Usually, okay. it's ORTF or something yeah. like that over the center of the kit. Okay. <clears throat> and what else do I do? I, I stopped more doing. Pain in the ass to me, ORTF. Oh yeah. Yeah. I have printed out. I printed it out on a piece of paper. That, so it's two microphones on a on a stand, so I can just. Kind of... Oh, okay. So oh, it's like a uh, diagram. <clears throat> like it's a... like a hundred percent replication of what it's supposed to be so i can just set, set it on top of the mics and angle them and get them in the right spot interesting that's a smart now i picked that that uh placement up from shannon forest because he was using that when i visited his space yep okay. low overheads like 
barely, probably like lip height. So I'm six two, whatever that might be, like five and a half feet off the ground. Whoa. Really low, <clears throat> and it sounded amazing. So like, all right, I'm gonna try that for a while, and it was wow. cool. Wow. Okay. All right, Mike. Thanks for your time, and thanks for yep. doing this like last minute. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. An honor. Thank you. Yeah, you know how it is. It's good to talk yep. to you. All right. Cool, man. All right, dude. Take Later. You.